0: Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're discussing the lessons learned from reopening. Check it out.
1: Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. We're back. It's summertime and the living is strange. Oh, I was going to say great. Easy, I think, is the song. Oh. Summertime. Mm. And the There living you go. Is easy.
0: It is easy. Because... You and I have spent some pool time together. Easy breezy. Yeah. Yep. A little yep.
1: swim time. You more than me, since you have the pool, and you invite me over very sporadically.
0: Well, it's whenever you're willing to bring food with you.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's summer, man. It's uh, It's been blazing hot, actually. Unusually warm, I think, for upstate New York.
0: Upstate New York. We've been hitting 90s 90. on the regular. Yeah,
1: and it's the humidity, right? Because 90 in some parts of the country is very bearable because it's dry, but it's been pretty humid around here.
0: Well, I, for one, am enjoying it. Well, you have a pool. I love a good I love a good pool session in 90-degree heat. I know.
1: I would, too. I wish I was invited <laughs> less sporadically, more regularly. Uh, Maybe some of our listeners would like to um, just reach out to my co-host and encourage him to be more generous with the pool that God was so generous to bless him with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who you're speaking to, but hey, if you're out there... You guys can send that message. That's a rhema word. That's a raimer word right for the out Lord. Of the, right out of the ovens of heaven. Well, speaking of ovens of heaven, we've been uh, we've been going what, through what feels like an oven of a time with coronavirus. Nice segue. You like that? Really, <laughs>
1: really stretching it.
0: <laughs> we've been going through coronavirus, and just when we think things are getting a little bit better, it gets worse. And and um, but we've learned a lot. Yeah, and, um, and we're learning a lot. We're learning a lot. And you, if, if you guys didn't know, David is the lead pastor at Trinity Assembly of God here in Liverpool, New York. Clay, New York, I should say. Mm-hmm. And um, and you guys have been open now what, five Sundays?
1: Five Sundays. We opened up um, May, no, what is this? We opened up June 28th, and so we just had our fifth Sunday open.
0: Yes, and my family is... I was back two weeks ago, but this yep. week was the first week my whole family was back. My wife finally built up enough courage to trust your your ability <laughs> to lead the church well and come back, and um, she was very impressed, very impressed with what she
1: saw. She's not easy to impress. No, Which no. makes your guys' uh, marriage even more shocking. <laughs> well, she's definitely concerned with the corona stuff, so yeah.
0: she was very impressed with— As uh, many rightly are. Yeah, she was impressed with the precautions you guys took and all that, all the work that went into it, and um, and it, it, we realized in our conversations that you and your team have learned a lot in um in these five weeks of reopening and even some weeks preparing to reopen, and and uh, so we thought today, you know, let's talk about that. What are some of the lessons we've learned reopening? Because people are listening to this who, um, either have already reopened, maybe some haven't, and are planning to, and maybe this could benefit them. Or maybe they've opened, but they've only been open a week or two. And so there's some stuff that you've learned and your team has learned that uh, I think would be really beneficial for people. And even if you're not in the church world, there's lessons that could be learned in any world because businesses are reopening. Yeah, um, We'll see what happens with schools, but there's all different sorts of um, groups and companies that are in um, similar similar boats, you know? So, mm-hmm. So we want to talk about that today. We're going to look at some lessons you've learned. I think you've got kind of four buckets, four lessons that you've jotted down. Yeah. So um before we dive into the specific one, what's your overall feeling been being back now five weeks?
1: It's been great to um, gather again in the same physical space. It's if there was any debate about the limitations of technology to be an adequate substitute for um, being together physically. Um, I think this time, this season has sort of settled that issue. So um it 's gone well it's it's different it's not what it was, and I keep reminding our people it's not what it's going to be. you know we use this language a lot. we start here so we can get there here here is not where we want to always stay and and here is not my preference i don't enjoy wearing a mask when i 'm singing i don't you know i don't enjoy the hoops we have to jump through just to get into the building, but here is where we feel like we need to be and in some cases in order to be in line with guidelines provided by the government, we have to be. Yeah. Uh, here is the best, the fastest way we can get there, which is where we all want to get, which is normalcy, so to speak, is to start here and stay here until we're ready to move forward. So uh, I'm encouraged and uh, just glad uh, as a as a communicator, it's so much better preaching, speaking to a room of people, uh, even if some of them are wearing masks and they're all spread out. It's so much better than talking to a camera. Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely testify
0: now being back for two weeks that... It's a different vibe being in person than watching on on uh on the screen.
1: Yeah. Do you think you feel it in the singing more than even the preaching? Like you know, not to kind of pit those against each other, but when you think of like what the value of being in a room together, like I feel like I feel like at home you're watching a band play a song, it can very easily just feel like another YouTube video you're watching you may not even sing, or if you sing, it's just you and maybe your wife or a couple kids. you just, as opposed to being in a room and feeling the fullness of the band and, and hearing other people's voices lifted around yours.
0: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a difference. For me, it's a difference in both, though, because the speaking, the speaking too. They're, like I think the biggest thing for me is there's so many more distractions at home mm-hmm. versus when you're there in person with a collective group who's all there for the same reason. It's true. At home, it's like, all right, let me put this on because it's time I should. Yeah. But meanwhile, you're, you know, your kids are running around in the background, you, you've got to get up and do something. It's just like, it's so much easier to kind of be listening, but not really be engaged or be present.
1: Yeah, no, that's true. So it's been good to be back and, and we're learning a lot for sure. All right. Well, we're going to test you on that.
0: Let's see how much you've actually learned. Mm-hmm. And um, so let's dive into the very first lesson that you have
1: learned in, uh, in reopening. I think the first thing that we I've learned as a leader during the season is that good leaders keep their heads in all situations. And there's actually a verse in 2 Timothy 4, 5 that uh, Paul is writing to this young leader, Timothy, who's leading the church in Ephesus, and they're facing a lot of different challenges. Um, and he says, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. And essentially what Paul is saying, Timothy, keep your head. When, when everyone else is losing their heads over crisis, over disagreement— um, over difficulties, leaders find a way to stay steady and keep their heads. And so, um, that's one of the things I've you know, the reopening time creates a lot of interesting conversations around why we're doing what we're doing and risk versus reward. And and there's a it's a politically politically charged conversation right now. Also, of course. And so, as a leader, if you don't know how to keep your head, manage your emotions, lead yourself steady yourself in the midst of all of it and not look for that steadiness from the people you're leading. Um, if you know to do that, it's going to serve you really well.
0: Yeah. I, I've texted a few of my friends who, who are lead pastors and I'm like, I don't envy you guys right now Hmm. because it's a tough position to be in. Like you've got, you've got chaos kind of on every corner. You've got people who at least feel more divided than ever. Um, and, uh, and so many of the decisions that you have to make, people feel are politically motivated or politically charged. And so you've got you've got this spectrum of
1: people in your church, or at least hopefully you do. Yeah.
0: Because if you only have one type of people in your church, that's, then, true. that's probably a different problem. Yeah,
1: and sometimes these are spiritually charged decisions for some people, lack of faith or blind faith. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so that's part of that conversation too.
0: Yeah, so you've got all these different all these different feelings and opinions which people are very passionate about mm-hmm. that weigh in and you've got to make decisions and then you've got people that are you've got people that are kind of panicking for a variety of reasons right one, one is panicking because they're afraid of getting corona the other is panicking because they're afraid of government takeover and so you've got all this panic around you so for you David you talk about keeping a, he- keeping a calm head Yeah. Um, how, how do you do that other than it just being your personality.
1: Yeah, I think some of it is—what um, was very helpful for me was having meaningful relationships, and they, they kind of need to be pre-existing. It's hard to develop these um, in the moment, but pre-existing healthy relationships with other people who are going through a similar journey. So I'm fortunate to have been in this community for many years. So many of the other pastors in this community, both within our our network of churches and outside of our network of churches— we would talk regularly, we would connect, we would share articles, we would ask each other, what are you hearing? What are you guys going to do? And it gave me just a, some, some, uh, a reference point for where we're all at. Are my emotions in step with how everybody else is feeling about this and are we at the same spot? So that was big. I, I also made a really concerted effort, and, and you know me, I'm not like a huge um, cable news guy anyway. But I do get a lot of my news through social media and online, and I made a concerted effort um, early in to really uh, kind of manage that intake and make sure that I was starting my day with God's Word, with God's truth, and, and not overwhelming myself with the information that was so rapidly changing, and, mm. and, and you know, obviously there's um, the, the danger of biased media sources and questionable uh, information, and so... Uh, I just couldn't. I needed to know enough to lead through this season, but I needed to protect myself from yeah. from it really controlling my heart and my mind.
0: That's so funny. I was I was just about to ask you about your consumption or connection to social media because I think even more than the news, although the news is a big issue. Like when I look through social media, or I scroll Twitter or whatever, and I'm not a big Twitter guy, but every you know I'll go on there once a day. What you see from a pastoral side is like all these. Famous pastors who all have an opinion on how you should lead yeah. during this time, and so I would imagine as a senior pastor the pressure to go, oh, this homie's doing that, maybe I should be doing that, or yeah, wow, he's really speaking, and some of them are speaking very strongly in one direction or another, mm-hmm. and so depending on where you land, like I would imagine the if you're not careful, the pressure to make a decision one way or the other based on other people or your
1: perception of the, what their opinion is could be strong. Yeah. How soon do you open? What, what protocols are in place? Do you open kids ministry? And you see other churches doing different things and, and it is easy to feel like I got to keep up or I, I got to, you know, measure myself based on what doing, what they're doing, or I need to critique what they're doing. Cause I don't agree with it. And I think part of keeping your head in times like this is reminding yourself, I don't need to have, I don't need to share my opinion on everything. Like, I can have an opinion, but I don't have to always say it. I don't always have to share it. Very little good will come out of us critiquing other churches you know, or, or tearing yeah. down within the same kingdom. And so I think part of keeping your own head is staying is, is being connected to the broader community of faith, but ultimately just focusing on your community and not worrying so much about what everybody else is doing and just being steady, you know? Because I think followers, they look to their leaders for steadiness and for strength. And if you're falling apart at the seams and there's a up and down and you're screaming out on Facebook one day and venting about this and venting about that, it doesn't communicate steadiness and certainty and confidence to the people that you're leading. Um, it actually just fuels the fire. And, and in this day and age, you're going to alienate half of the people in your community with just about anything um, extreme that you say. Yeah.
0: I don't know if you're going to get into this later, but um, I would imagine, too, if you operate in that way people in your church who are, are everyone suspect of decisions being made, which are motivated politically Yeah, of everybody. Mm -hmm. And so when you're, when you do not operate in that way and you operate in a clear head, people know, Hey, his motivation is our safety and the health of our church, and maybe I don't agree with every decision, but I know he's not doing this because he's a diehard Republican or a diehard Democrat. Like, yeah. I don't have to worry about your motivation. I know it's because you love us and care about us.
1: Yeah, it was important for us, and this is kind of— a, let me let me kind of lead us into the next thought because it really starts to go hand-in-hand hand with what we're already saying. The next thing I've learned in this season is that, you know, communication always matters, but it matters— it's mattered more than ever in this season. Yeah, And it's clear, consistent— communication that answers the questions that people are asking and articulates the articulates their objections in a way that recon, so they can recognize that we understand the concerns right so for us a big part of um, reopening was communicating the values behind why we are reopening and why we are reopening the way that we are reopening but also we were very consistent in communicating what the team looks like um, that you know they're a bunch of experts in different fields Um, have very specific insights that that they can bring. We talked about our values being, like I already mentioned, we start here so we can get there. Um, Another one of our values was we're motivated by care, not fear. So we're not doing things because we're afraid. We're doing this because we want to care for our community. Um, And so communicating the values of why we were doing, there's another one that's actually escaping me right now, why we were doing what we were doing. That was so important. But during quarantine and leading up to the reopening, I communicated more than ever to the church family. We would send video messages out every single week. Um, We were sending out a weekly emailer. Of course, they were getting the services online on the weekends. Um, And then there were a lot of ways in which I was communicating with our leadership way more frequently. Our our board was meeting weekly via Zoom, which we never meet that frequently. We meet once every uh, couple months typically. And we just found that in this season— your communication has to be clear, consistent, and, um, and just it's so important that you're saying what needs to be heard by people so that they know where we're headed and how we're going to get there.
0: So how do you figure out what needs to be heard? How do you guys—is that just an intuitive thing, or um, how did you decide, here's yeah. what needs to get—here's what's going to be asked, so here's what we need to answer?
1: So for me, I think as a pastor and as a planner, right— And God's given me both of those gifts, I think, to some extent. So um, as a pastor, I'm always thinking, what do people's hearts need to hear? So pretty much like every other video I would do would be pastoral to the heart of individuals. How are you caring for yourself? Uh, How are you um, protecting your heart in this season? How are you not finding your identity in X, Y, and Z? How are you living in a world that's full of fear right now, right? So really pastoring their hearts how do you manage the fact that we all won't agree on this plan right but then from a planning standpoint you know very clear here's the big picture information that you need to know about our reopening plan and then all the nitty-gritty details we put them in writing and we make it available online but you, you can overwhelm people with your communication too so when we talked about our safety plan we just talked about six big things and we didn't get in every detail And then in the video we mentioned, if you want to see all the details, there's a PDF online that you can download and and read through. So you got to think as a pastor. you got to think as a planner. If you're leading a business, you're not a pastor, but you do need to think about the morale of your people. So I think in that case, you do have to think in that almost a pastoral, um, fatherly, motherly sort of way because people are holistic. So their ability to process information is... Uh, is connected to their emotional state, right? Can they hear what you have to say?
0: Yeah, and I'll and I'll say from a um, a participant point of view. So the process of coming back to to Trinity was we're getting this communication about here's our plan. Now, um, my wife is more of the detail oriented. She's the she's the audience that's going to be concerned. She she wants to be really convinced that you've thought through. You've got a good plan. And so for her, seeing wow, okay, they've got they're really communicating. They've got these six steps. They've thought it through, and then there's also more information if I wanted it. That communicates one thing, which is we thought about it. We care about your safety and your health. Um, this is important to us. But then going there, there's this process you guys have in place of doing. Drive-in temp checks and yeah. uh, kind of a questionnaire, and and it's pretty it's pretty in depth compared to a lot of other churches. However, the way in which it's way in which it's done, I commented to you. I said I, my perspective is if people are coming here and they don't really care as much about the precautions, maybe they're not they're not as concerned about corona. Mm-hmm. I think their perspective is like this is fine. It's not that
1: intrusive. Intrusive. Yeah. yeah.
0: But the people at the same time, the people that really care about it are going, wow, they're going above and beyond to communicate that they're they're caring about what we think, what we feel, and they care about our safety and health to the best of their ability. This really speaks volumes. Yeah.
1: And I think a part of, you know, to kind of, again, mingle these first two points, a part of keeping a clear head during the season has been not giving yourself to the extremes and having a perspective of, okay, so we're learning a lot about this virus. And the nature of science is something is true until it's proven not to be true. So it's not necessarily alarming or indicative of something broader that the information has changed on Corona over the first three, four months here because we're learning, right? Yeah. And so when you're in a season of learning and there's, you know, I kept reminding myself, what's at stake here? And and what's at stake here is that I have a mom who's a senior citizen who has underlying health conditions who's going to be in that service. And what's at stake here is that I have a six-year-old daughter with underlying health conditions who's going to be in that service. So every now and then I need to remind myself, like, and, and this is actually this is our other value that I previously forgot, and it was that we want best practices, not bare minimum. So for us, we weren't just going to do the the bare necess- necessities to reopen. We wanted to make sure that we were doing what was best to keep each other safe, and we think that's a way that we love our neighbors, which is obviously a big part of what it means to love Jesus. And so. Um yeah I think for us the communication of that those, those values and and listen you got to just hit them over and over you got to put them online you got to post them you got to hand them out you got to say them people got to hear them they got to know them um and I think if you can communicate your values in front of your decisions it helps alleviate a lot of the you know pushback you might get yeah I love that. All right, well, let's jump into the third thing you've learned. Well, the third one is, you know, nothing new either. Again, just like communication is always important, working as a team is always important. But what I really learned in this season is that people are are more important than even the plan. So we have a good plan at Trinity, but thankfully we have great people. It doesn't matter how good your plan is if you don't have the people that have the heart and the willingness to uh, execute the plan. And Um, We've asked people to be stretched in the season, but we've been honest with them. We've said to some of our team members, listen, not everybody's back. The bench is a little more thin than normal. Some of you, specifically I'm thinking of like our ushers, some of you are going to serve three out of every four Sundays in a month. And we're going to schedule you because that's what we need to do. But we also want you to know if it's ever too much, we'll figure it out. Just please let us know and decline an invitation to serve. So we're, 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 challenging leaders to lead in new ways you know we have guys who are um, board members elders in our church who have agreed to serve as ushers in this season not that an usher is beneath anything but that's not anything they've done before right but they know that's what we need right now yeah Um, we have med screeners who are screening at the first service and then staying to screen the second service before they go to spend the rest of their day with their families, we have families, husbands and wives because their kids are too young to come. One comes to the first service and then they swap, and they go home and stay with the kids and the other. And I'm not saying that's right for everyone, but I'm saying you start to lo- you learn a lot about your people in the season. You learn about what they value most, um, you know, their level of commitment. And of you know, course some people, again, it has to be said with COVID, some people have very valid reasons for not leaning in and coming and serving in the season. But I think, you know, having a culture of teamwork and servanthood will get you through seasons like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and one thing I think that you've touched on is um, and maybe this is <laughs> maybe this is not helpful for those who haven't done it, but it's a lesson for learning for the next situation is um, this has to be built before yeah. chaos comes.
1: It's too late if you wait. It's too late if you wait, yeah. right?
0: If you if you've not built the team, if you've not built the relationships, but this is why, like we've talked about leadership development before, as being so key, is is obviously for when things are going great, it's important, but especially when stuff like this happens, because that's when you really need leaders to lead, you really need people to step up, and and so I think this reinforces the importance of what kind of culture have we created? Um, do we celebrate team members? Do we celebrate others being? Uh, doing great things beyond just us or are we always the person that's got to be in every situation every moment like this is when those principles really shine and and people really rise to the to the top
1: yeah absolutely and we we regularly celebrate people who serve in our church on Sunday mornings that's part of our service Um, but even as a pastoral team um, we're going to be stepping up some of what we do to express gratitude Um, and you know through Uh, Just thinking of the people who have come back and are serving, how can we say thank you to them? Uh, We did a thank you dinner recently for our leadership um, at the sort of the elder deacon level and staff level. I wasn't invited to that, so. (laughs) Well, you know, you wouldn't come anyway. You you guys weren't coming yet. but. If you don't if you came to the dinner and didn't come to the service, then we really would have exposed your heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we're looking for ways and always talking about and we've done little things on Sunday mornings like we did a post one Sunday recently was National Ice Cream Sun uh Sun, Sunday. I think that was your first one back, ironically yeah. enough. Yeah. So we did a little everybody got an individually wrapped ice cream on the way out. It's just, you know, ways of showing appreciation to people and encouraging them. And I've been more Uh, personally focused on thanking people in the season for what they're doing because I realized like it it was great that we had a plan but the plan means nothing if you don't have the right people yeah so true so true all right lesson number four lesson number four is you gotta love people where they're at
0: (laughs) Mm. Ooh, this sounds like the hardest one
1: you know James Bradford said to me once in a cohort leaders expect to get hurt and I wouldn't say I've been hurt during this season. We have a great church. I don't feel personally hurt by anything that's been said or done by anybody. But I do know that there are leaders around the country who feel hurt based on maybe the slow rate of return. You can feel like, I mean, you could tell yourself, they don't trust me. Mm -hmm. We've worked so hard to put this plan in place, and they don't trust me. Or they're not committed, or they don't love God, or they don't agree with X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I think you have to brace yourself that, in a season like this, not everybody's going to walk every step with you at the pace you want them to go. And we've seen people start to trickle back. You know, week one, not here, week two. Now that we're even just this past Sunday, week five, we saw people back for the first time. And in some cases, I know why there was a delay. In some cases, I don't know why. But ultimately, when they walk in, there's nothing about that um, delay that causes me to kind of withhold my. Appreciation and excitement for them. You yeah. know, the, the first Sunday they're back, I want them to know, man, it's so good to see you, and we're so glad that you're here. And so I think loving people where they're at, some people are really afraid. I mean, and obviously there are legitimate reasons to to have some fear right now about some of the unknown. And so it would be easy to kind of like spiritualize it and say, well, you just need faith. And there can be, of course, some truth to that, but you got to love people where they're at in their fear. And then some people just are, um, so some people are afraid of losing their health on one end. And then on the other end, some people are afraid of losing their rights. And so they're not coming because they feel like maybe in some ways their rights are being violated by a specific political agenda. And so no one's going to tell them what to do. They're not willing to lay down their preference as a pastor. I need to love those people where they're at and understand. And also of course, um, as this time moves forward, there may be the appropriate opportunity for me to push and challenge some of that. But I think it's important that you, uh, in when you're when you're reopening your church and you're figuring things out, realize everybody's in a different place in their journey, different place in their understanding, a different place in their comfort level. Meet them where they're at. And this is yeah, and I love that. And this is where the politics
0: of it have come in because, like you said, you and I, I think week one, we're talking about there are people who would not come back to church on opposite ends of the spectrum. One is the government is not going to tell me what to do. I'm mm-hmm. not going to wear a mask therefore i i can't come back cuz that's one of the expectations the other is church maybe churches shouldn't be even be open we should still be under lockdown right. right those are kind of the two extremes both different kind of sides of the political aisle and whatever so but the but here's where i'm hopeful is as our country becomes more and more divided politically like everything is political now including coronavirus the church to me is the only hope it's the only potential remedy to that Mm -hmm. issue. And the reason why it's a remedy is because hopefully when the church is living out and preaching the gospel in a church, you have both of those groups of people whose love for Jesus and his mission is greater than their political party or their personal opinions. And I have, I have my own personal, you know, I love talking and shouting and debating (laughs) about my own personal views, but if it gets in the way of what you're talking about, which is loving people where they're at, and, and if our churches are not that that group of diverse people, both ethnically but also in opinion and in yeah. and, and politics and in every area, we're not going to remedy what's happening in our country. I think the church is the hope, but it it demands what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. If you're a pastor... And and you're not sensing the need—well, let me say it this way. If you're a pastor, I think you should be sensing the need to challenge some of the heart idolatry associated right now with power, control, um, that's related to political avenues, right, ways to get it. And I've been looking for opportunities, as the text has provided them each week, to push in a little bit and to kind of like just challenge people's lowercase k kingdoms. Say so it's okay to be a part of a political party. Of course, it's okay to have your views, but but when when that actually has more con- when the when the status of that kingdom has more sway over your emotional well-being than the eternal, um, forever kingdom of God, and when you can't see a way that people in other lowercase K kingdoms couldn't be in the kingdom of God alongside of you because of the differences you know, there's a problem and right. it's idolatry, really. And so we have to really speak both prophetically uh, and broadly, you know, prophetically, but also broadly in the sense that we have to be able to critique people in both extremes for the same heart issue, right? Yeah. Totally different manifestations of it, right? but the same heart. So, you know, even at Trinity, um, you know, I see people's Facebook feeds. You know, I know there's people in our church who... Um, are very excited about the possible of a re-election, and I know that there are people in our church who that's their worst nightmare, you know? right? And the reality is that if we're the people of God standing shoulder to shoulder centered around the mission and work of Jesus, then we can overcome those differences because we have a deeper loyalty, right? right? And so you love people where they're at, but part of loving people where they're at is to always remind them uh, we have a we have a greater loyalty than anything that this world can offer in terms of groupings, uh, organizations, affiliations. Yeah. Do you feel the the weight of that
0: in the way that I do, which is, if this doesn't happen in the church, I don't know. I don't know that there's hope for for our country. Like it, I feel that like this, the
1: church is the only hope for yeah. this to get better. Yes, I do agree. I mean, obviously, I believe that the the gospel is the only hope for everybody. You yeah. know, spiritually, socially. I would say, and I know you're not saying this, but I would say there's level-headed non-Christians out there, obviously, who are trying to na- navigate this in a way that isn't extreme. But as far as actually dealing with some of the heart issue behind this stuff and as far as giving people a sense of um, a greater kingdom, then, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. You know, Christ- Jesus, the Christian worldview, it provides a way forward. Now, <laughs> unfortunately, that's not how the Christian worldview is perceived right now, is it? No,
0: no, and and that that comes down to to the leaders. That comes down to the lead pastor. Yeah,
1: and biblical interpretation and biblical faithfulness and and cultural, you know, uh, there's so many factors. This yeah. is a whole other episode, obviously. But,
0: but I just but, think yeah. that that final point that you're making, which is um, you've got to be able to love those that are different. You love people where they're at, is so vital for the lead. Because if you're the lead pastor, that's your job to model that for people. Yeah and you you forfeit your right in some ways to voice your own opinion because you need to love people and model that and and that's what the church has to become yeah. you
1: know i think you're right and this is hard you know cuz i think there's a lot of emotional investment in these conversations but i i think you're right because I, I i think i heard bob reeve say one time if if you are using your platform to politic or to strongly promote one political avenue over another you've basically said to half of your community we don't care about you like we don't want to reach you that might seem extreme but think about it if somebody on one side of the aisle walks into a church and here's a pastor get up there and just pontificate in favor of the other side of the aisle whichever one it is and and they're they're not going that's too much of an obstacle to the gospel for them yeah and the gospel itself should be the only obstacle, nothing else that we have to talk about. And so, and you know, you, if if you live in upstate New York, then it's the churches tend to be on one side of the aisle. But if you live in downstate New York, the churches tend to be on the other side of the aisle. Right. And so you have to have some grace here and um, you need to, ha- and this goes back to my first point, which is you got to keep your head in these conversations and keep some perspective on things. Yeah. All right. Well. We talked enough
0: nonsense, let's get to the really important stuff. A little portion we like to do called David's Eats, where we not only help make better leaders, but also better eaters. And uh, David, you know, things have been reopening. I know to your joy, the only thing that rivals opening church is opening restaurants for you. So what's been your favorite favorite restaurant that has kind of reopened or reemerged since this?
1: Well, I'm actually going to redirect your question a little bit and surprise you and bless your wife.
0: Okay. Because well. one
1: of the favorite things I've eaten recently, we are at your house oh. for a little cookout and a little swim time, and your wife made this bruschetta, mm. which was fantastic. Now
0: tell people what this is because yeah, we need, so we need a, to teach the people. So it's they a, a toasted,
1: toasted, to- buttered toasted piece of Italian bread usually or some sort of... Um, could be hard toast. It can be, you know.
0: And you should know. She actually rubs garlic into yeah. it. So, so garlic
1: it's... bread. And then on top is just like chopped uh, tomatoes, um, usually like heirloom tomatoes, basil. And then there's um, salt and pepper, olive oil, balsamic vinegar, and then some, some mozzarella, right? Yeah. And so... Man, it was just, it's so refreshing. And actually the night before, Aaron and I had gone out to eat at a restaurant in Syracuse called Amano. And we had got an appetizer that reminded us a lot of it. It was just, it was a caprese salad. And it had tomatoes, olive oil, salt, pepper, vinegar, uh, balsamic vinegar, and then a huge ball of burrata in the middle, which is basically like softer mozzarella. And so, so refreshing. And I'm not doing carbs right now, so I find myself enjoying a lot of um Basil, mozzarella, and tomatoes. And don't comment. I know tomatoes have carbs in them. I'm just not doing uh, bread and pasta Yeah. and sweets. It was a
0: delicious meal. Even better company. Yep. Great night. Hey,
1: everybody. This is the
0: Multiply Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next time.